We'd like to welcome everyone back to the Nova Society. And today, myself and Dr. Priscilla Hobbs continue our conversation about AI in higher education. And now we start looking at what it might mean toward the doctoral level and the future of AI as it relates to higher education. So let's listen in. That I I see myself as you know Cerberus it's at the gates of hell. Uh, my job, <laughs> thou shalt not pass, uh, because I'm and, just having a moment imagining you with three heads. With three heads, or as Gandalf with a beard and the thing, yeah, uh, and a pointy <laughs> the pointy hat thing. Oh um, yeah, that's important. Yeah, that's very important. I I just that truly uh, is is hugely important to me. My issue is, is that the next generation of educators who use AI, it may not be as important. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the increasing reality of higher education and the generational divide as it is, right? You know, it's <clears throat> if we look at the Young younger academics now, um, the newly minted PhDs or the the, the more traditional track um, academics. These are folks who um, whose education system was challenging, but also they had space for various accommodations. You know, like I have X challenges with reading. Well, here let's make reading. You know, give you reading support. I have. I'm. You know. In my neurodivergencies, I have this particular limitation. Well, let's let's help help you still succeed. You know, taking that into account, let's provide you the supports. So you get, I mean, there will be a shift in perception where then those folks who had those those supports and accommodations are like, okay, this was my experience. So it that's the threshold. That's their limit, right? It can't right. be any harder than what they experienced. So if, um, you know, someone does get through writing their doctoral dissertation using AI, it, realistically, you know, that sets the bar that says now students, you know, coming through their classroom can also write with AI. Right. And do you think that's to the detriment of higher education? I mean, that really is the question here. Yeah. Is this a detriment? I think it's a detriment to the industry of higher education. Okay. So, you know, because I think one of the things that's going to happen is that there's going to be a point where original thought and the need for information and AI will get to a point of clashing and it will force a reckoning of the academy to figure out who it wants to be. And if it wants to embrace um, the fast turnout of information and it wants to embrace AI as a viable tool, a uh, higher education will have to fundamentally redefine itself. And, you know, that's going to that's going to bring the whole industry as a philosophical concept, higher education. Mm -hmm. um, I think it will ultimately depend on whether or not AI is allowed to be the producer of the information or if AI is relegated to a tool of accommodation. 
And if it if they we do use it as a tool of accommodation, it has to come like the the responsibility would be teach people to use it as a tool, not as the final say. And I think right now, because we're still kind of in that wild west of this tool, no one knows what that looks like. No one knows what it means to have responsible use of AI. No one's defined it. And honestly, I'm incredibly skeptical that anyone ever will. You know, it's even if we reach a fever pitch of it, I think uh, the functions that it's taking on are the functions that are going to stay. And I think that the rules you make today are going to change tomorrow Mm -hmm. as it as it advances. That's the other issue with technology as technology advances. The philosophical ideas behind it can't keep up. Mm -hmm. Uh, We just you just cannot keep up. So. Do you think AI eventually will, I I know you think it's going to probably transform higher education. Will it replace it? No. Okay, let me rephrase that. It can't replace the learning experience of higher education. It could make it easier to remove the learning experience from the transaction of getting a degree. Okay. And that I think is, as an educator, that I think is the the challenge, right? Because uh, higher education is not about the piece of paper. We all think it is. We no, have the student loans to it, but it's like, it's not about the piece of paper. It's not even about the title of the degree. It's about the learning process that it gets that it takes to get there because if you lean into the learning process you embrace the learning process for being what it is it's a transformative journey you will get to that piece of paper as a fundamentally different person than as you started it doesn't make you any smarter no and i've i've always said that i always, and i'm a firm believer that the dissertation process is probably something that they should throw back into the into the realm of history because you know it it and I always, I sit on numerous dissertation committees and I always tell them, this will be the worst piece of crap you'll ever write. Because when mm-hmm. it, when you get your book, it's going to say Priscilla Hobbs, MS. It's not going to say Priscilla Hobbs, PhD, because you haven't gotten that yet until you hand over the book. Right. Write something that you can base your career upon. If that's what you want to do, do mm-hmm. not try to solve all the world's problems. Do not reinvent the wheel. Don't drive yourself crazy with this because you only have a certain amount of time that you could do it. But, but something that is the fundamentals of what you want your career to be. And then write about that, present it and, and you should be good to go. So the most common mantra I hear among grad students right now is the only good dissertation is a done dissertation. (laughs) Well, you know, and what's, really interesting to that is, um, you know, a number of my professors, when we were um, talking about writing our dissertations, they would share their experiences of, you know, putting all of like this heart and soul and effort into writing their dissertation and then getting in front of the committee and getting shot down, you know? So, you know, you talk about that threshold of experience, right? That was, that was their threshold. So they said from, you know, that's not where we're going to go. We're going to go over here and make sure that you 
you do have this different type of experience. You know, so in a way, it's changed the importance of the dissertation. It really is increasingly becoming like a um, a ritual completion. A hoop of to jump. Pre- a hoop to jump. Yep. And the defense is even more so. Yeah, and and you know, I've I've had students come in just before the dissertation and. You, know, you see the sweat, you see the fear, mm-hmm. the terror. They, they've just put their heart and soul into this thing. Uh, they spend an awful lot of money. Uh, and the last thing they want to do is be told, okay, you've got to go back and make edits. Uh, <laughs> or this doesn't work. And I always tell them, remember, everyone on the dissertation committee, there's usually three. Mm-hmm. Each one of us has a certain expertise, be it research, be it content matter, Mm-hmm. And usually your chair is the professor that you like the best. Generally, True. that's kind of the way it works. Yep. Remember, you wrote this thing. Mm-hmm. You are the only expert in the room. Yes. Especially if you're doing new theory. Mm-hmm. There really is not any of us that can challenge you because we're not experts. You are the expert. You did the research. We, mm-hmm. I mean, my dissertation was exactly that. It was a new theoretical principle of, of war and genocide and things like that. And there, I knew walking in, they can't challenge it. I've got mm-hmm. all the data. It's there. But the only expert in the room is me. Mm-hmm. And my dissertation defense, which was absolutely a disaster, um, well, people showed up at the, at, you know, like an hour late uh, for it. And yeah, and I you know, knowing me, I said, wait a minute, I traveled 10, 10 and a half hours here and you guys live across the street, can't show up on time. What's up with that? It was raining. It was Fort Lauderdale, Florida. It was December. You got out of your car. If you, if you walked fast, you got wet because it was so humid. <laughs> so it was just a, the most miserable experience <laughs> ever. And my dissertation took, my defense took 10 minutes. And then they said, we're done. You're fine. Go, goodbye. Go away. <laughs> it was like, okay, fine. Um, but I can't <laughs> see, but you see now, the, you know, I, and I take my, my experience and, and people do write their dissertations in different ways. Me, I sat down and thought about it. Never wrote a single word for six months. Mm-hmm. Didn't write a thing. I wrote my 400 page dissertation in a weekend. I sat down with the, with the technology, with the, the ability to dictate and basically for three straight days, just talked into the thing. Um, then it took like two weeks to do the editing, (laughs) that part of you don't write like you speak. Um, it, that probably took the longest. And then of course, doing the, doing the reference section of it, but some people can work that way. Some people can't. But if you do, and I agree with you, the fact that if you use AI, you take the experience. Again, I, I totally agree with you in the sense that getting that piece of paper that says Dr. So-and-so, whatever, PhD, does not make you any smarter than when you first walked in the door. Mm-mm. You were this smart before. Mm-hmm. This just says, this gives you a credibility factor. Mm-hmm. There's a credibility factor of having it. I had a great professor at uh, Nova Southeastern that says, my job isn't here to teach you anything. My job is to make you be able to communicate without sounding like a blithering idiot. That is my only job, <laughs> you know, to just 
be able to help you be able to express what you're thinking. I have colleagues, Priscilla, that are absolute geniuses. Mm-hmm. Couldn't put a sentence together with two hands and a flashlight. And they are totally ignored because of their inability to to express and, and put that out there. And that's where I see AI. If you can't do it in written form, yeah. how are you going to do it? You know, when you're standing at a conference, standing up there, how how are you going to bring those, how are you going to be able to express yourself? And that is so much a part of higher education. Well, you know, and and what's interesting about that, um, one of the things that crossed my social media, because I I ingest most of my news from social media these days, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is a different conversation. Um, We'll have an intervention. Um, but it was an article about how um, science um, researchers are being pressured more to write their papers using AI um, because there is, at least in certain academic industries, the publisher perish mentality where, you know, you have to just be generating information and research all the time. And, you know, I'm I've carved myself a niche little corner where I'm not in a publisher parish environment by design. Um, Cause that's just not how my, that's not how my brain works, but I do see people who are in the publisher parish mentality and, you know, they're chasing the peer reviewed journal. They're chasing the conferences. They're, you know, waiting to be able to like put all of the, these papers together to make a book. And, because they're under the pressure, they're going too fast. So it stops being about the research and stops being about that theory, that thing that they're really passionate about, and it come becomes a transaction of an information exchange that gets the job done, right? Right, right. You know, so I think – so thinking to you, the dissertation in AI, right? Are there portions of a dissertation that one could argue could be easily written on AI and probably no graduate student is going to complain like the lit review? Yeah, probably. But when it comes to synthesizing the theory, AI is not at a place yet, and I question whether it will be, where theory can actually be synthesized in a meaningful way. Well... That's a very good point. And all right, so let me now I got I got to wrap my head around this for you you've made it so I actually have to think about this for a minute. Um do I think if somebody took everything I've ever written and I I have everything and I'm also not in a publisher parish kind of of environment. My my was research uh, and it was usually presented research. So yes, there were papers involved to it, but it wasn't. Yeah. Could they take everything I've written and could they develop a theory that I would have not thought of through AI? That's scary. I mean, that, that, Ooh, <laughs> I, gee, I, I hope not. <laughs> I, right? I mean, 
I don't know why, for some reason, uh, and this I think is a little bit before your time, this song by Ziggur and Evans, the year 2525, keeps running through my mind. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just, yeah, it just, I don't know, for some reason, I just have this thing, you know, running when, through my mind. When I'm uh, in a dystopian mode, that is definitely the theme song playing. I mean, really? I I hope you're right that that that'll never happen. But and I and that's who, like who would have thought? I mean, just in just in the last twenty years, who would have thought what we're doing today we could have done twenty years ago? I no can't one. even imagine twenty years ago at this point. That was what two thousand and three. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I always I always thought my grandmother, who was born in the year eighteen ninety nine and died in two thousand and three lived through the entire 20th century. The stuff that she saw Mm -hmm. that were, that was the advancements that she saw. And we've seen more advancements in the last 20 years than they saw in a hundred. Yeah. Which is mind boggling. I learned recently that, um, Netflix launched their streaming service within a week of the, initial launch of the iPhone. Really? Yeah. And that was in January, 2007. See, that's hard to believe. Isn't it though? I mean, when you really think about that, (laughs) that that is so, I mean, that's like mind boggling. Um, I remember having a pager. Mm -hmm. I remember having a digital pager. I remember having to go to having a, having to have a dime to make a phone call at a phone booth. I mean, I, I remember those. I mean, unfortunately that shows my age, uh, my age group, um, the time before I remember the first computer I ever had was like Mm -hmm. 1994. It was a compact presario. So it was like the greatest (laughs) thing in the world. And it like, you know, and I remember AOL and it had the dial up and that made that really <laughs> ridiculous sound. So, right? you know, yeah. when somebody says to me, AI, I say, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if there's a limitation to it. Mm-hmm. And if there isn't a limitation to it, not trying to be dystopian about the whole thing, but I mean, just to the, the education industry, what would that mean? And for me, I don't see it being positive. And I do understand it is a matter of access. We make accommodations mm-hmm. for access. So everyone has equal access. Mm-hmm. I also understand the idea of it's also an industry. It's a business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I always tell uh, the advisors, they're your customers. Mm-hmm. They're my students. Yes. There's a totally different dynamic there. Yes. I And I don't deny you that they're your customer. I got it. <laughs> But to me, they're the student. Yes. And I, and I get that. I, I truly do. And I get the idea of access, making sure everyone has access, fair access to be mm-hmm. able to do this stuff. Um, yes. But I just don't, I, as a tool, I just can't see it being all that positive. You know, and I think. But you say, I, I mean, does that make sense yeah, to you? I it mean, does make it sense. just. Well, and I feel like we've already, the movie has already been written. Like there have been dystopian movies and television shows now for decades that have warned, you know, the limits of AI and the digital space. 
So it's it's not surprising to me that we're at the place we're at. It's surprising to me that we, and maybe this goes back to the failings of the education system, still haven't learned to pay attention to the dystopian messages. I remember I was listening to a New York Times um, podcast, and you know, one of the things that they were writing about was how they interviewed like the original person behind the programming of the algorithm that's now AI, mm-hmm. and. Um, in, you know, the classic scientist sort of way that they didn't realize at the time that they were creating this thing. But then when they launch into the future, they're like, oh, my gosh, I just created the worst thing ever, you know. And so, of course, now they're the ones saying, I don't think this was a good idea. Kind of, kind of like Oppenheimer. <laughs> Yeah, Oppenheimer. And, you know, another famous one was Leonardo da Vinci, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like, I mean. This is the cool thing about science, right, is you can do a lot of these cool things. You can test these boundaries and push the limits, but everything you do thinking is a force for good is going to have a force for bad. And we're going to have to live through the growing pains of the bad before we, you know, really recognize what that what that's going to look like. I I'm pessimistic enough in um you know, looking at, you know, all the things that have happened in the last 20 years. And I'm like, you know, this, this isn't a good direction for us to be heading as a, as a culture or even as a planet. And, uh, you know, people have been saying for, you know, a lot longer than I've been alive, you know, like, we're not going in the right direction. And, uh, you know, at, at what point do we course correct? Yeah. And I, and it's not it's not dependent again when when the discussion boards i'm always surprised by it's not just the older generation i mean somebody will write about an ai and there'll be a lot of a lot of responses to the discussion it's about 50 50 mm-hmm. good bad and mm-hmm. it is not it does not go along by age Mm-mm. there's some of the older students that say oh yeah this is a great idea and there's some of the younger students that say oh this is horrible which mm-hmm. would you think it would be the other way around. Right. Yeah. I mean, that would like make sense. That would be, the, but, it, but it's just, it's not that. And again, you're right. We, we have so many tales of dystopia out there. We should learn from them. And for some reason we just don't, the problem with technology, technology is absolutely great. Number one, it's great when it works. Number two, the biggest problem with technology is society does not advance as fast as technology does. Mm-mm. We are, we have, uh, and I, I wrote this at one point in time, we have 23rd century technology and our society sits still sometimes in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. Yeah. That is the problem. It isn't the technology. It is the society that cannot adapt to the technology because we're still stuck a century back. Mm-hmm. And that's why these questions come up and, and that's why, that's why you and me sit here and go, oh boy. Yep. Every time. Every time. And we do that a lot. <laughs> Just not always on recording. No, not always on recording. All right, Priscilla. Absolutely. Always a great time talking to you. 
And I'd like to thank Dr. Priscilla Hobbs for joining us here at the Nova Society. So that's all the time we have for today's episode. We'd like to thank our sponsors, the JCIS, an open journal for upcoming scholars. The JCIS is currently accepting article submissions on an ongoing basis. The JCIS is a publication of Nova Works, a depository at Nova Southeastern University. The Phoenix Group, an independent research consortium offering social issue solutions to NGOs and international government agencies through multidisciplinary, nonpartisan, and unbiased research. And finally, BH Conflict Resolution Services, a full-service dispute resolution firm offering expert and cost-effective mediation services to couples, groups, and businesses. BHCRS can be reached at www.bhcrs.com. We'd also like to thank our podcast partners, Buzzsprout, who hosts the Nova Society, iHeartRadio, where people get their music and podcasts, Apple iTunes, the largest source for music and podcasts on the internet, Spotify, the most popular source for the Nova Society. The Nova Society is available on all these and other quality platforms mentioned in our description. And finally, Podkite, our analytical partners. We'd like to thank all of our listeners. Without you, the Nova Society would not be possible. If you have a comment, question, or would like to be a guest on the Nova Society, we can be reached at nova.society.podcast at gmail.com. Always remember, the power of society is knowledge. So for Dr. Scott Gershwer, Dr. Brooklyn Ann Weldon, and all of us here at the Nova Society, I'm Dr. Mark Bound. Be well, and we hope to see you again next time. Thank you.